0: Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and we have a real treat tonight. This is the week that the Oscars have just ended. I don't even think I said that sentence right. The Oscars just happened, and it's the week after. So this is the um, the after party, so to speak, in the form of a podcast for the Oscars. And tonight I have with me a guest John Wilkerson, who is a podcast host of uh, of the... Well, I'm just going to let you tell about yourself and your podcast later on because you're going to do a much better job than I will in the intro, but I'm really glad to, to have John here. He's an educator. He works and does a homeschool podcast, which is really a, an excellent thing, and so I know a lot of you who listen uh, may actually be interested in what he's doing, and so I'm going to give him a chance in a few minutes here to tell us about what he's doing, but this is going to be a unique episode tonight in that um, we're going to be talking about Oscar films and we're going to be maybe playing the fool a little bit uh, to a certain extent and being kind of funny because we haven't seen most of these movies um i think i've seen of all the winners i've seen one film and so uh we'll explain a little bit more what we're doing but before we do that john welcome to the voices in my head podcast please tell us a little bit about yourself and and whatever else you would like to tell us your podcast maybe a little bit about your family just it's up to you you can tell us what you want us to know
1: well, thanks for having me, Rick. I uh, really uh, appreciate being on here. Uh, ever since I heard about your podcast from uh, Ben DeBono and Matt Anderson over at the Sci-Fi Christian, uh, I have been a fan of your podcast, so it's, uh, it's great to be on here and uh, really enjoy being here. As far as me, I have been podcasting since 2005, so uh, I'm an old-timer, and it is something that I just kind of fell in love with. When, when it came out, I remember listening to some of the very earliest podcasts. When it was more like pirate radio, and and now it's kind of you know a lot of people have it this polished podcast out there and everything. Uh, but my family, I you know I've been married to my wife for oh see now I'm gonna put myself on the spot here right. We got married in 1998. How about that? Uh, and oh, yeah. we have seven children. And uh, we homeschool them all. Uh, our oldest is actually a junior in college right now, so we're not homeschooling him anymore. But the other <laughs> 6 were we're still homeschooling. And uh, I actually work for a, a higher ed. Uh, I work in higher ed at doing computer sports. So not only am I right. an educator at home, I'm also an IT guy. And so I kind of combine those two into my podcast, The Wired Homeschool. Which I started that in 2010, so I've been doing that right along.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Now, without getting too far off subject tonight, I just uh, would love to know because I have uh, a two-year-old son right now. It's it's uh, we only have one child at this point, Um, but already you know we're thinking about school options, and, and we, we don't live in an area that has the greatest school system. And so I'm, I'm curious, and you're probably asked this all the time because of uh, your involvement in homeschooling. Um, just tell me real quick, if, if somebody was to ask, it's, and it is me asking, why homeschool?
1: Well, I, I think everyone has to come up with their own reasoning. Um, and, and for some people, it's because... They they feel like they really can't train their children up in the way that the, the Lord would have them train them by sending them to public school. And others, it's because the school systems aren't good where they are or w- whatever the case may be. For us, it was primarily academic reasons. My wife is a certified teacher here in New York, so she has been in the school system, and she knows for a fact that she can do a better job than uh, hmm. many of the other teachers out there. Yeah.
0: Sure. Well, hey, that's that's a good reason. I mean, that's uh, honestly what we're thinking about too. And my wife is a teacher, and she teaches um, special ed preschool. And so, uh, I my hat is off to all educators for sure, because it is uh, something that is definitely needed. And our boy, our schools are in a mess for sure. But um, but we're not going to talk about that tonight. We're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to talk a little we're, bit. We already did, but
1: um, we're going to show our lack of education. Gonna, yeah, tonight. that's that's actually
0: the that's actually the point of tonight. Um, we just so you know where this podcast came from, and and in case you're going to be asking while we're going through this, what in the world are they doing? Um, and this may not even be funny. I don't know. We haven't tried it yet, but I think it was yesterday or the day before. Um, it must have been yesterday because the Oscars were just on TV on on what would have been Sunday night. Today we're recording on the 24th of February, 2015. And uh, I was just making some silly comments on Twitter about wow, this is maybe the first time ever that I haven't seen any of the movies that won the Academy Awards <laughs> this year. And uh, and I, I, I think I said, but boy, I sure have seen a lot of Sesame Street, you know, because of my <laughs> two-year-old or something like that. And John and I kind of uh, over Twitter started kind of, you know, making little jokes back and forth. And we had the idea, what if we did a podcast um, where we talk about the winners of the Academy Awards, but we don't have any knowledge of it, and and in some ways, kind of be a parody of ourselves in the sense that um, so oftentimes as Christians, um, Christians have a reputation of, for better or for worse, sometimes of judging a book by its cover and uh, you know we'll we'll do everything we can to talk about a movie or bad mouth it or say things about it which may or may not be true um, we'll read things about it we'll look up things on you know plugged in websites and stuff like that but oftentimes uh, we won't see it for ourselves to know, <laughs> or or have any yeah. re- any reference in the conversation. So I thought it might be kind of funny, and and seriously, I just wanted to be funny. We are we are going to have some application at the end, but just to see how kind of crazy we can get in describing these movies that we know very little about based on the title and. Maybe just a small amount of knowledge that we have otherwise. So the idea of this is to be funny and silly and uh, maybe to be a little bit self-deprecating as Christians as well. So uh, any other further thoughts you wanted to share about what you think we're doing tonight, John? Because I don't know what we're doing exactly.
1: Uh, I just was wondering, what's an Oscar? Oh, okay. Well, up, Up here we have a place called Oscars where you can get some really great smoked ham. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't think that's what we're talking about. Well, this
0: will go back to my what I already referenced, uh, my episodes that I've been watching. I've been logging a lot of hours of Sesame Street. And Oscar, to my knowledge, is a green guy that lives in a trash can, and he's grumpy. Um, yeah, um, that's yeah, right. Oscar the Grouch. And so I think that, if I'm not mistaken, the Academy Awards, the reason it's called Oscars is because everybody in Hollywood is a grouch. So um,
1: that must be why. And,
0: and I think that the awards make them really grouchy when they win them. Or maybe it's that if you don't win them, um, you're, you'll be grouchy. because. I think... at...
1: I think maybe that might be the case. If you don't win, then you're grouchy. <laughs>
0: then you're grouchy. That's what it is. So, Well, let's get right into it. Um, of course, we could talk about things in these films like you do with a good story, like the setting or the characters or the plot or the backstory and the details, but since we don't know about any of these things, except for maybe one movie, I, I have seen Interstellar, so I could actually talk intelligently about that, but other than that, I'm going to try not to talk too intelligently tonight. Um, let's start out with the movie do um, do you, you want to start out um, with like best picture or save that one for the last and like start with you know, let's
1: save that for last.
0: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go opposite of my list, and I kind of have like the big ones at the top, and the the ones we maybe consider a little smaller at the bottom. But I think I have them all listed uh, from from websites and different things ahead. So let's start with best adapted screenplay this evening as we're giving our synopsis of these Oscar winning films. Um, the the best adapted screenplay was won by a movie called The Imitation. Game. The Imitation Game is written by Graham Moore, and uh, this movie, as far as I know, because I know nothing about it except the title, this is a really long game of charades where the only category is celebrities. And so they filmed this movie um, with a bunch of people imitating celebrities, and that's why it's called The Imitation Game. Uh, what have you heard about this film, John?
1: Oh, well, see, that's see, my what I heard was that it was about... Uh, the contest to find the best 100% all-natural artificial butter flavor to go on your popcorn when you go to the <laughs> movies. And so they had this contest called the Imitation Game, uh, and they wanted to see what was the most buttery artificial imitation butter for your popcorn.
0: <laughs> I hope it is about that when I get a chance to see it one day because that sounds much better than a game of charades that goes on for two hours. But you, you actually had some drama there with the contest and everything. So that's great. The Imitation Games. Well, congratulations, Graham Moore, on the Imitation Game. I'm sure it's a much better movie than we we're able to come up with tonight. Well, the the movie that, uh, that won probably more awards than anybody else uh, goes into the next category uh, for best original score, and uh, this is actually the the music category. It's it's not uh, not original song, but best original score, which has to do with the music that goes over the whole movie. And so, since I'm a musician, hopefully these next two I'm going to have some good things to say about. And since I started last time, I'm going to let you start, John, with this one and your explanation. But this is for the movie The Grand Budapest. Hotel, and uh, it was written by the score was written by Alexandri uh, or Alexander Desplot, I think is how you say his name. So tell us a little bit about Grand Budapest Hotel and the score, the, the score especially.
1: Well, uh, from what I understand uh, with the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, it's it's about a bellhop in a grand hotel in Budapest. And that's about all I know. (laughs) As far as the score goes, it must be about the muzak, you know, the muzak that they play in the elevator. (laughs) So I think it was scored completely using muzak. Uh, Just and 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 just, I mean, you can just imagine, you know, hearing sharp dressed man. In Muzak form, as you're going from the first floor all the way up to your penthouse suite there at the Grand Budapest Hotel.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I heard about the score, and this is uh, you know, it's just one of those it comes when it, with these movies by Wes Anderson. Um, they're unique, and the score itself, while it is Muzak a different kind of music because all the music is actually played um by bells that are found in hotel lobbies uh, so that yeah yeah. whenever you want to ring somebody up so the entire score although it sounds like it would would be you know terribly monotonous and kind of one note um sharp dressed man is is the the tempo and it's like dun 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 Dun, 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 but it's all just bells. So you just hear a series of ringing uh, all throughout. So, congratulations. I think they probably had something like 6,000 um, desk bells. and. Boy, when, when the score plays, I hear that the bellboys come running uh, to the yard. I, <laughs> that's all I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it brings the bellhops to the yard, so that's all I know. Excellent. Can, so, Well, let's move on. Um, the, the next category we have is best original song, which is different from best original score, which would actually kind of be um, throughout the whole entire movie. This one, I'm, I'm proud to say, one of the writers of the best original song is from my city of Springfield, Ohio, and uh, it's the song "Glory" or uh, "Glory" um, from the movie. Um, uh, oh shoot, uh, the. Uh, Selma. Selma. Yeah, I didn't write down the movie and it left my brain for a moment there. But from the movie Selma, uh, although I didn't realize this, that John Legend, who is from Springfield uh, here in town and and is actually uh, friends with... uh, uh, music pastor buddy of mine, um, who was actually kind of his mentor, so this is sort of like coming close to home here. Every time oh. I see John Legend on TV, I'm like, yeah, it's our hometown guy. Well, what I didn't know is John Legend, his real name is John Stevens, and uh, and he wrote this with uh, the other artist named Common, and I didn't realize that Common's name was Lonnie Lynn, and so the uh, the winners of the award for the song Glory from Selma uh, are John Stevens and Lonnie Lynn. And the best of my knowledge about the movie Selma, um, it's about the time that Martin Luther King um, went to the small town of Selma in Selma, Indiana, which is actually where my grandmother lives, and had the best Pizza King pizza he'd ever had um, in his life.
1: Nice, And nice. That's,
0: that's why the song is actually called Glory, uh, because it was such a glorious experience and people treated him so well. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what the movie's about. But what, what about you, John? What have you heard? I've, I've never really heard of this Martin Luther King Jr. guy, but I hear the movies about him. So.
1: <laughs> well, actually, th- th- that's interesting that you say that because are you familiar with the book I Am Legend? Yes. Okay, so I fr- from what I understand, John Legend is actually a vampire. And um, when he wrote the book Glory, he was actually uh, thinking about you know, in you know, how in the movie Twilight, when the vampires got exposed to sun, they sparkled, right? And, and the glory shone about them. And, and Martin Luther King was a vampire, too. And so when he went to Selma and uh, he was out in the daytime, he would sparkle like, uh, like a vampire.
0: Interesting. And I heard that I Am Legend was first a movie, and then it was turned into a classic piece of literature.
1: Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. Now, which I am legend?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I'm talking about the Will Smith one, and then I think okay. v- Vincent Price later made one. Um,
1: post- oh, so they retconned the other po- other
0: movies. Posthumously, um, somehow they – I think they must have CGI'd in a black-and-white film this Vincent Price movie, and then Charlton Heston did one.
1: Right, right. But,
0: but it was really – I've got to say the Charlton Heston one is, is almost – Word for word, the novel. There's not any change to it whatsoever. So when you And, read and it. then
1: I, I don't know if you know this, but they also had one called I Am Omega that went straight to the sci-fi channel.
0: Oh, really? No, I yeah. didn't know about that one.
1: Yeah, I actually heard that that one was the first one, and the novel was based off that one.
0: Well, and that must have been uh, followed up by the not-so-popular I Am Alpha which, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I am Alpha and I am Omega were supposed to be together, and that actually starred Alfalfa from the Little Rascals um, back in the day. And so I am Alpha was sort of like this was going to be Alfalfa's chance to to keep his hair from sticking up and going to take a serious role of I am Alpha and yeah. uh, and and drop the falfa and just be called Alpha. So we had Alpha I am Alpha and I am Omega. Um, but but just skip those and watch I Am Legend. So, yeah, that's all yeah. to it. so congratulations to John Legend, who's, Congrats. A, who's actually John Stevens, and Lonnie Lynn, who is actually Common. Um, I, I, I feel weird calling him Common. He's anything but that. He's extraordinary because he won an Oscar. But uh, anyway, moving into the next one, I'll let you start first on this. Our, our best documentary feature. I've never heard of this film, but... That hasn't stopped us so far. Citizen Four, um, best documentary feature by Laura Poitras, uh, Matilda Bonifoy, and Dirk Walensky. So Citizen Four, tell us what you know about this one.
1: Well, Citizen Four is about the uh, fourth person of the Trinity. Uh <laughs> And uh, little, little do people know that uh, the fourth person of the Trinity is um, is, is the Bible, the written Bible that, that we have. And so that's what Citizen Four is about, how, how the Bible came about and how it became the fourth person of the Trinity.
0: Well, I simply thought this was a making-of documentary of the new Fantastic Four movie. Um, that's going to be completely exactly like the comic books in every way, Uh, Citizen Four.
1: Oh, you you know what it could be, too? It could be a combination of Citizen Kane and Fantastic Four (laughs) together. So instead of having uh, the Fantastic Four fighting aliens, they go back in time to the Wild Wild West and wander around, you know, dealing with all these – Outlaws
0: and Wild Wild West also a Will Smith movie. So I think that
1: also a Will Smith movie. There's a theme
0: here. He comes up again, but I don't think Citizen Kane takes place in the Wild West, does it? I is I I don't think it does. I think that it it's actually about a sled named Rosebud, isn't it? So. <laughs>
1: About a sled uh, in it is. Rosebud?
0: Yeah, which it, it is. Rosebud is actually the name of the sled in that film, but that's why it makes me think that this is a Fantastic Four movie, because of the Silver Surfer, who in the new iteration is going to be riding a sled.
1: Aha, uh-huh. okay.
0: <laughs> and they're going to call him the, <laughs> the Silver Sledder. <coughs> <laughs> I think... <coughs> Excuse me. I promise I'm not smoking. I had coffee and it went down the wrong pipe. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to the next one. I think we've we've covered Citizen Four as much as we can. Another Marvel Comics film achievement in film editing. Whiplash. Um, Whiplash is of course about the uh, the Marvel Comics villain that we saw in Iron Man 2. And, right. Uh, Whiplash. Uh, learns to play the drums in this movie and starts to do something a little different with his life, uh, and and is is vowing that he will take down Tony Stark. So it's a little known thing, but it's actually sort of takes place somewhere between Iron Man 2, um, and Guardians of the Galaxy, somewhere in that uh, mm. level. So Whiplash is, um, the the film editing was done by Tom Cross. And uh, we we just congratulate Tom on his editing achievement and uh, and what he's brought us in this next installment of the Marvel Universe.
1: Uh, see, I, I I I heard something totally different about this. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, we we have to bring it back to Will Smith here. Uh, if you recall, his daughter Willow had a song called uh, "Whip It." I whip my hair back and forth. I
0: do. And understand. then you had.
1: And then you had Devo with Whip It Good. And so Whiplash is about all the songs that relate to the word uh, whip or have the word whip it. It's actually a musical, and uh, and, and everyone dances around, and uh, there's whips everywhere being whipped, and it's kind of really weird.
0: <laughs> why, why won't Will Smith leave us alone and i mean he has to be in every movie or his kid does and i don't understand he's showing you know, up in the songs and the films his children he's everywhere
1: he's everywhere he's just he's involved with everything he's kind of like the illuminati so yeah. uh, involved in everything he's he's you know manipulating all of hollywood
0: and he's going to be deadshot in the new dc movie so here he is in marvel and dc and dancing too yep with, with, what was multi-talented. Their, what was his daughter's name again? Was it Willow? Willow, that's right. Willow Smith. Well, all right. Well, congratulations, Tom Cross, in uh, in achieving your film editing goal. Actually, Whiplash looks like a really cool movie. I actually really do want to see that one. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> But uh, let's move on to the next one, and, uh, and this will be back to you again. It's a movie we've already talked about. I don't know what else there is to say, but this is uh, – the winner is Grand Budapest Hotel for Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling, and Francis Hannon and Mark Collier. So tell us what you know about the makeup and hairstyling in the Grand Budapest Hotel.
1: Um, from, from what I understand, there actually was no makeup on anyone. And uh, that's kind of the whole – that's the joke. The joke's on everyone else is that uh, the, the actors did not actually wear any makeup. In fact, they were wearing uh, giant wigs like Cousin It. Mm. And, uh, and, so, and so it was really mostly for hairstyling because everyone was covered from head to toe in wow. hair.
0: And they also had sort of because everybody, when you go to a hotel, and especially the period when this was written, everybody had hats, you know. And right. so it was hat hair everywhere around. So it was really kind of a genius move. Nobody could wear hats in the film, but they had to look like they were wearing a hat just before they came on camera. Uh, right. So it was hat hair. And the makeup, I, I got to tell you, when you watch that in high def, um, you can really see that the celebrities are human because they don't look too good without makeup. I got to say. Yeah,
1: and, and, and which is why, which is why you had the ZZ Top music score for this movie because if you've seen ZZ Top, those guys have got a lot of hair.
0: Well, and you know what? This leads us to our next category. It's the same movie winning again for achievement in costume design, which goes right along with the makeup and hairstyling. Uh, Milena Cannonero, um actually got uh, the award for achievement in costume design, which we've already discussed. It was somewhere a uh, mix between Cousin It and ZZ Top in this entire movie with bad, right. with bad hat hair. Um, other than that, for some reason, there was just random people uh, in costumes, and I, I didn't quite understand why. It was Mostly it was sort of like on The Karate Kid when all the bad guys at the party were wearing the skeleton suits. Uh, 50% of the movie Grand Budapest Hotel is just people wearing that outfit. And then one guy in a, in a shower curtain, um, looking costume running around too. So that was a real homage to the karate kid in the costume design.
1: And weren't they also at some geek convention as well where, you know, people dress up in costume and cosplay and all that. So if you can imagine Cousin It.
0: Well, and you know uh, well, yeah, and often uh, because comic conventions are, are small in certain areas, they have to meet in hotels. And so in Budapest, uh, it's not got the big draw like a C2E2 or a Comic-Con has here. So they actually had to hold the Geek Comic Fest in the Grand Budapest Hotel in the lobby. So,
1: right. Or
0: in the conference room, not the lobby. I said that wrong. I wouldn't oh, conference you, room. I wouldn't want to give you bad information about a film that won such high awards so Uh, no
1: no 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 we wouldn't want to do that
0: let's move on to a film that took 12 years to make and from what i understand it's just simply uh because they they kept losing the film everything they recorded got recorded over again and again like a bad vcr tape um, because apparently the director's mother um kept taping over it Uh, for, you know, various episodes of NCIS throughout the last 12 years, so um, this movie took a long time to make, but the movie is Boyhood, and uh, it won, uh, Patricia Arquette won for Best Supporting Actress, so tell us uh, what you know about this.
1: Well, this is actually a series of home videos um, from from a, a young boy's boyhood, and, you know, like like happens with VCR tapes when when you and I were growing up you know our parents would would record over it and um and sometimes you have to you have to record over that episode of Love Boat in order to uh to to get a <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't laugh when I make a comment, man. Come on, we're trying to deadpan this. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but are good. They're good. You, you know, you record over that episode of Love Boat so that you could get that uh that that one special moment uh, uh from from your boyhood.
0: Yeah. Well, and I understand too that it took him 12 years to make this film. And in the course of filming. Um, Not only did the episode keep getting recorded over again and again, but it could have gone either way for this boy, and why they call him boyhood is on one hand he had a real heart for social justice and the poor. And like Robin Hood, only as a boy, um, a, a young boy, he decided to rob from the rich and give to the poor. But then later on in his life, he became just—he started hanging out with the wrong crowd, and as he got older, mm. started doing a lot of drugs and hanging out with gangster-type people. And so, um, boyhood was the, the the best word they could find for both paths that this boy could have potentially gone down. Um, and Patricia Arquette. Um, not many people know this, um, but she is a boy. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And that's uh, that's that's what made her her speech about women empowerment at the Oscars so strange. But um, yeah, it was just you know, and twelve years, long time. It's I, I don't I don't really have much else to say about this one. So
1: yeah, I I also you know, understand that they actually wanted to call it Boys in the Hood, but oh. that that name was already taken. So.
0: Well, and then they wanted to call it Leprechaun in the Hood, and that was also taken, too. <laughs> and they weren't sure why, because there was no Leprechaun in this film. But um, it was, you know, artsy people. Art, art, what's the director's name? Art Linkletter? No, Richard Linkletter. Art Linkletter was the old talk show host guy. Right. Who, uh, brother, they're brothers. That's what it was, uh, with a 60-year age difference. Um All right, well, let's move on to the movie we've already talked about once, Best Supporting Actor, J.K. Simmons. From what I can tell from J.K. Simmons' acceptance speech about this movie Whiplash is it's a movie about nothing other than calling your parents. Um, because that's all he talked about in his acceptance speech was call your mom, talk to your mom, uh, let them talk as long as they want. And we know it's a Marvel Comics movie, so it seems like a a bold choice um, to not only make it a dance film uh, with Willow Smith, uh, but it's also finding itself in the Marvel Universe. And it goes completely the other way. Instead of action, it actually is just a phone conversation with your parent. And mostly they're telling you about their heart medications and different things like that, and it goes on for a while. But, um, yeah, what what have you heard about uh, – uh, give us some more information about J.K. Simmons. Um, now, he's – also, J.K. Simmons is also known as J. Jonah Jameson, so that may help you to uh, to give us a little more information.
1: But Oh, so he's also known as J. Jonah. I, I did not know that he was also known as J. Jonah Jameson, and that actually helps because okay. – um, you know, he he has been trying to unmask Spider Man for years and years and years, mm-hmm. and um, he, he got very close because when swinging around on that web, sometimes you know Spider Man kind of misjudges it and can actually get a case of whiplash, and and so. That happened in this movie. That happened, and uh, just as Jason uh, Jameson was about to unmask Spider-Man, uh, Whiplash, the bad guy, shows up mm. in New York City and starts wreaking havoc. And of course, he, you know, Jameson kind of begrudgingly says, "Well, I guess I got to let Spider-Man go take care of this because otherwise." You know I'm not going to get any good pictures of all the destruction. Right. So, uh, uh, because believe it or not, Jay Jonah Jameson actually knows who Spider-Man is. He just wants to be the one to show everyone that it's Aunt May.
0: And then I, I heard similar to Guardians of the Galaxy that this Whiplash movie, because it does have Willow Smith and all, it ends with a dance off. And yes, and, and part of the the deeper meaning behind Whiplash. And the reason it's called this is not just because of the character itself, but because J. Jonah Jameson is the only person on the planet that still rocks a Hitler mustache. And so people's heads turn so fast they nearly get whiplash when they see him walk by because they thought they just saw Hitler. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that'll do it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, best actress this year went to Julianne Moore for Still Alice. This is a movie um, about Alice, who had a television show back in the, I want to say it was the mid 80s to early 80s, late 70s. And uh, it took place in Mel's Diner, and she's still there, still working there, flipping burgers, taking orders. Um, she actually, as time has gone on, she's still Alice, and they want us to know that from the script. She did a great job. Uh, Julianne Moore, you couldn't even tell that, that she was a different actress than the woman that played Alice in the television show. And she, in fact, did several times um, kiss Flo's grits.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and interesting, here, here's an interesting little piece of trivia. Mel's bell that he uses to ring was actually in the score for Grand Budapest Hotel. See,
0: see, everything's connected in Hollywood. It's all about who you know. It's all
1: connected. It's all about... Will Smith and the Illuminati.
0: Yeah, it's true. Well, we only have three categories left in our conversation about the actors tonight. We have Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Picture. Uh, Two of those are actually going to be the same movie, but let's let's get to to Best Actor first, and we're just going to go right in in order like they do at the Oscars. Uh, Best Actor was Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything, and I think it's your turn to go first and tell us about this film.
1: The theory of everything—it's—it's—it's it's, it's real simple. It just comes down to this: all they did for three and a half hours was display the number forty-two on the screen. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. Just the number forty-two on the screen.
0: Well, it's—and it's, and the thing is, for him to be able to to act like the number forty-two, you thought they were just displaying it on the screen, but in fact, Eddie Redmayne played the number forty-two. And uh, and for him to embody that number in such a way, um, I mean, I he's still doing it. I like it. Put him in a wheelchair, from what I
1: understand. So. Yeah, yeah. It was he really uh, he really got into the part uh, so much so that yeah, I thought it was just you know the number forty two up there you know in Garamond far, font for three and a half hours. So well,
0: so much so that in his film Jupiter Rising, it had an effect on his voice to where he delivered. Every line like that because the 40, the forty two role in uh, theory of everything took over such control. So uh, yeah, poor yeah. poor Eddie Redmayne, he really sacrificed himself for his art. He doesn't have a voice anymore. He has to talk like that from now on. So
1: <laughs> it took a toll on him. It, it definitely did. Definitely did.
0: Well, I, I, I feel like, I, I mean, I already gave it away, and everybody knows this, but the last two categories we have are for the same movie, but they're for different uh, different roles, so maybe we should try to talk about those roles as much as anything, but we're going to start with, uh, with Best Director uh, for the movie Birdman. And I was so excited when I heard that they were going to be turning Hawkman into a film to join the DC Universe of films. Because Hawkman is somebody that as a kid, I watched him on the Super Friends, and uh, he was an archaeologist, and uh, he had lived several lives before. And in Birdman, we get to see Michael Keaton, um, who already perfected the role of Batman 25 years ago or something like that. Um, But now he's going to play Hawkman in his old age. And uh, so to see Birdman, um, to have someone direct him like uh, Alejandro González Enritu, I think is how you say his name, Uh, he made the film look like they did it all in one take. And that's an accomplishment if you can follow Hawkman around. Because I heard that Michael Keaton did all of his own stunts and did all of his own flying by himself. And so, mm. um, yeah, so it's an extraordinary – he should have really won Best Actor because all Eddie Redmayne did was play a number 42, but Michael Keaton had to learn to fly, and uh, that, right. I don't know. Right. But, but he, it was passed over, and it went to the director instead. So what, what do you know about the Best Director and Birdman and all that good stuff?
1: Well, what's very interesting, uh, back in the 60s, there was a cartoon from Hanna Barbera yes. called Birdman and the Galaxy Trio. Now, Alejandro, whatever such and such such name, it's actually Hanna Barbera. It is a uh, you know, it's an alias for the folks at Hanna Barbera. They finally got. See, you're saying Hawkman, and here I'm thinking I. I It clearly looked like Birdman and that that scene, uh, you know, where Michael Keaton goes, Birdman, you know, (laughs) just like from the cartoon. Just it was it was it was wonderful, wonderful.
0: Well, well, what what I think maybe you didn't realize about the film is this is actually Hawkman versus Birdman, Harvey Birdman. Um, And of course, we all know Harvey Birdman became a lawyer. And uh, so it right. actually was a courtroom drama and an action film all at the same time. Um, and so it was, it was something like watching A Time to Kill mixed with uh, Man of Steel uh, or Batman or one of those other epic superhero movies. And all we know for sure about it is somewhere in there Sam Jackson has to be there. Uh, I I don't I didn't see yeah. the film yet, yeah. but I, I'm certain Samuel Jackson is in it because I don't think they can make a comic book movie anymore without him being in it somewhere. I I thought that was Hollywood law at this point.
1: No, and and you know someone really needs to tell Sam Jackson he's my bro yeah uh because because that is just I don't know have you seen the song Have you seen the song Sam Jackson someone tell Sam Jackson he's my bro
0: <laughs> No, I haven't <laughs> but that, look it up
1: on YouTube. <laughs>
0: that, that, cer- that certainly won't uh, stop me from talking about it though like, like the movies I'm sure <laughs> so well let's get into so. let's get into best picture and this is our final category picture. of the evening best picture Birdman again won uh, the best picture. Um, it, there's a lot of confusion in this category because uh, there, there's three different artists involved in Best Picture, and that's the director, Alejandro G. Enritu, in, uh, and also John Lesher and James W. Shakespeare. No, it's Scotch, Scotch Dope Pole or something like that, and I'm that's why I'm not a broadcaster. But the thing that is confusing to people about the Best Picture Birdman is it simply is an oil painting of, a, of Birdman. And uh, they, of all the movies that were done in Hollywood this year, the uh, the Academy voted and said, of all the pictures we've seen, um, this oil painting of Birdman is is the best picture that's been in any movie that we've seen all year. So it wasn't really about the movie. It was just they really liked this picture that these three guys painted together, and they thought it was, uh, you know, really brilliant that it took three guys to paint this thing, and uh, and it looks and just like And from what Birdman. I understand.
1: Yeah, and from what I understand too is not only did they paint the picture, but they actually used a selfie stick and took a selfie of themselves painting the picture, and and that is what really won them the Best Picture Award because you know I mean anyone can paint oil painting of a of a birdman you know I mean that's 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 no big deal but to actually use a selfie stick while you're painting the painting. And take a selfie. That is just true, true art right there.
0: And the selfie stick, also known as the narcissistic. stick. Um,
1: yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or,
0: or maybe it's just the narcissistic. I think that's what it's called. But um, well, you know, as I as I look over this this long uh, list of honored movies, I realized that uh, I guess uh, enter. Um, Uh, shoot the movie name left me interstellar i almost called it intercoastal and that wasn't right um interstellar is not on this list and i thought it was so sorry interstellar the one movie i have seen um you didn't apparently win anything
1: no i thought it did win something i thought it
0: won something too but it's not on my list maybe they won like best um best
1: special best movie that didn't win anything
0: best movie that didn't make my list so it's somewhere yeah. somewhere yeah. it's in there but I'll tell you what of all these movies because I actually saw that one I enjoyed it more than any of the other films on the list um, <laughs> and I also disliked it more than any of the movies on the list too for 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 one reason because I saw it and I and I didn't see any of the other ones so uh, with that in mind this uh, was a crazy idea that we had tonight it was kind of fun uh to, go so, to yeah. these films and just be silly every now and then i kept thinking for a while i wanted to do just a silly podcast and that ended up being what tonight was uh but on a serious note uh this evening and, and by the way did you have any more uh, any more jokes you need to get out about the oscars or the academy awards or anything before we kind of switch our conversation a little bit uh
1: you know just that uh, I don't care to really, uh, ever see Neil Patrick Harris in his tidy whities ever again.
0: <laughs> well, j- just because I'm jealous, that's why I don't want to see it. I, <laughs> uh, it's like, I know I could never achieve that, so that's uh, how it works. But, um, Well, I thought it would be interesting tonight, and, and by the way, I actually should say, I'm a huge uh, fan of movies, and I like movies, and this is kind of strange for me, just because, it's partly because I'm a fairly new dad, and uh, I used to get to theaters more more uh, or even rent things more, but I just don't as much. It seems like life uh, when I'm at home uh, seems to revolve around different things than it used to. And I'm sure you with seven children can relate to that entirely. Oh, yes. So all that is to say, I have a lot of respect um, and you may not have taken it from our silliness tonight and how we're talking, but I do have a lot of respect for filmmakers, for the people that do the writing for films. And um, I'm always amazed when I think about the end of a film, something that most of us overlook. And I'll be honest, I don't sit and watch the credits because they're the credits. But I'm always amazed at how many people it takes uh excuse me, um, how many people it takes to make a film. And uh, and when you realize that that's one of the biggest exports that we have in this nation is movies, and and it, it employs so many people, um, especially if you sit in a movie like um, The Avengers or one of those huge blockbuster films or something, I'm always right. amazed at the number. I mean, you just look through, the, those credits will roll for... What seems like forever, and and you're, they're trying to um, give everybody their due that has has been a part of this movie. Usually, we only think of uh, the stars of the film, and then probably the director, and and then occasionally maybe a producer or a writer, and that's about all we think about. But um, obviously, there's a lot of people involved. There's um, there's people who are providing for their families, or just um, like anybody else, and and, and it's an occupation, and it's a job. But something that strikes me about that, and, uh, and and in the midst of our silliness, what you might have missed is, is, again, how much respect I have for people in that industry and what they do in a, in a lot of ways. Not every film, because I don't think that every film is incredible, um, but the storytelling and the the, the passion and pursuit of, of telling this narrative. And in some ways, I think that... The little that I know about the filmmaking process, I'm basing this on what I see of the names and the people involved. Um, In in some ways, uh, the process of making a film and the way that people have dedicated their lives and some people have uh, dedicated themselves in being behind the scenes. In fact, we would say more people are behind the scenes doing things than are actually up front that you would see that are making these films possible and in a sense are being – sort of servants in that behind-the-scenes role. Um, When I think about that, I think, gosh, that's really a a depiction of the church in a lot of ways, you know, and and the way that these people sacrifice um, so much of themselves and the way that they will – it doesn't really matter who gets the credit because we know nobody reads the credits, (laughs) you know, at the end. And they're willing to do their job and they want to provide for their family. But but I'm always struck by – you know, if Hollywood and the people there, and especially like the actors and the writers and the directors and different ones, they they literally are are giving up so much to be where they are. Um, there has had to been such a discipline um, of of giving up certain things in their life to achieve what they're doing. and there had to be um, a real drive. To get behind this narrative and this storytelling and to give of themselves. And I just think about, shouldn't the church be even more so um, that dedicated in in the pursuit of godliness and the pursuit of being like Christ and the pursuit of being God's people? In the world, and so I thought maybe we could actually turn our discussion a little bit from uh, from the silliness into the seriousness a little bit, Um, and and maybe you have some thoughts along those lines too, and maybe you were thinking in an entirely different direction than what I was, but I I do kind of think of the body of Christ, and we're told in Scripture we're reminded that you know not. Not every part of the body plays the same role. The, the hand can't say because they're not a hand that they, or, or the hand can't say because they're not a foot that they don't matter. Um, the head can't say because I'm not an arm, I don't matter, and things like that. Because God has put the different parts of the body together, and I, I kind of see that in like the filmmaking process and all the different parts that go along with it. And we might say, well, you know, that guy that went out and. And got food for everybody that day isn't as important as the guy that's up on the screen. But somebody's got to get food for that guy, you know, <laughs> and take him through. So I don't know if you had any thoughts along that line that you wanted to discuss, but I'd love to hear what you have to say along those lines.
1: Well, I mean, one one of the things that, that really struck me is how a lot of people in these movies, they, they really toil in obscurity. And you you can kind of really tie that back to the children of Israel because for years you know starting back in Genesis 15 when uh, you know the Lord told Abraham that he was or, well actually it's still Abram at that time uh, when the Lord told Abram that the Lord was Abram's reward um, oh. that it was kind of a you know it it was a reward you couldn't really grasp some something you couldn't put your hand on and then all throughout the old testament there there are plenty of examples of of god saying the same thing to to a number of people that that god will give people their reward and 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 the lord will give people their reward and then we get to the book of matthew where the word reward is just you you cannot you almost can't go a chapter, and you can but it's it, you almost can't. The, 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 many of the chapters in, in in Matthew talk about the reward that the Jews received in Christ when Christ came and fulfilled the prophecy and the promises that had been that that promise you know back in Genesis chapter 15. And a lot of times, those of us in the church, we may feel like we're we're toiling in obscurity, and that and that that our reward is is never going to come. Uh, and we're whether it's scrubbing toilets, or whether it's doing uh, you know multimedia at a church, or even if it's just straightening out chairs. Um, af- after a church service. Uh, our reward isn't always kind of right there in front of us um, uh, but, but we are promised a reward. And so th- those were kind of kind of along the, the lines that I was thinking that you know, Jesus is our reward and right now it, you know honestly, e- even as a Christian, it seems like something that we can't grasp. Uh, we, we can understand it we can we can read scriptures on it uh, we can feel the holy spirit's uh, power in our lives but we don't really feel that final reward that we're, that we will eventually receive uh, when we when 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 we get to glory uh to 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 to, to coin a phrase <laughs> yeah
0: well and and, and maybe i, I have probably a couple more thoughts but maybe i'll just end uh, my thoughts with this one too and when i was thinking about all the people that as you were saying toil in obscurity um that reminds me again of you know we were told told by jesus so many times that the kingdom of god comes in small things you know Mm -hmm. and and like we we hear images uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, of little things like mustard seeds, you know, things like yeah. that. You think, well, that doesn't sound real impressive. But then he talks about, you know, when the tree actually grows and, and, and gets fuller and bigger. And I think about the dedication, too, of little films like Birdman is a, is a good example for it to go right. on and win the best picture and win the best director. That was actually one I really wanted to see this year and I could not find a theater around me that, I, that was showing it. Nobody was showing it like I, in any of the huge theaters around me because there's several that have like multiplexes that'll play you know 16 to 18 movies it seems like at one time and none of them were showing Birdman except for like one day and it was a day I couldn't get there. You know, it's like today only bird, right. you know, yeah. or some little art theater that was a 40 minute drive away and there was just no way I could get there. So I, I was thinking about that, too, and the idea of of persevering in obscurity, sometimes even like a film like that, that that is a small film. I mean, it definitely is a small film. Uh, but at this point, it's kind of the biggest film in the world because of all the acclaim it's gotten, and, right. and there's a sense that now everybody wants to see it, and everybody wants to kind of be under that umbrella of, oh yeah, I knew about Birdman, you know, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and and I think about again this the idea of um, of toiling and doing your very best. I think that's a, a a beautiful example of what the church should be doing. You know, not not making films necessarily. You can you can make films. It's great. But the idea that that we toil and and uh, we grow where we're planted, so to speak, that it may be that that God has planted us in a very small, unassuming place. When I mean, you might you might be um, listening to this, and maybe you're one of those small church pastors that you're just you know you feel like you're just draining your life out of yourself at this church that runs 30 people, you know, <laughs> and, uh, right. and you've been doing it for so long and, and you're like, God, when is there going to be like a reprieve? I'm really, I'm doing my best. And, and the idea isn't that we are ever, actually called to glamor, but we're, we're called to be faithful where we are and to work at it with all of our hearts and, and do what God's called us to. And I think of a, just to speak to what you were saying, the idea that um, toiling in obscurity can really be seen along the same lines as of those small things that Jesus talks about, whether it be a mustard seed or a, a lost pearl or a lost coin or, you know, even a lost son <laughs> at different times. Yeah. Which is something that when, it, when they are found is, is rejoiced over in, in huge ways. You know, it's like the party really begins... When those little gems are found, so to speak, throughout the gospel, and I feel like that's kind of what's happening with Birdman, this little film that you couldn't even find to watch. Now everybody's giving it such a claim, and again, I haven't seen the film. I just know what people are saying about it. And uh, so anyway, I'm just I feel like there's a lot of good things that the church can learn from Hollywood in that regard, and you know, oftentimes uh, there, there is a lot of corruption there, and I'm not gonna. You know, sanctified or anything but at the same time I want to say hey the the, the church needs to be paying attention because they are giving themselves for their cause you know <laughs> and they are mm-hmm. and they are mm-hmm. doing it well and um and they're noticing when the church doesn't do it well and when the church is half-hearted and uh, and I truly believe that our call is to be as Christ and to be um, self-giving uh, to the end honestly I mean I feel that's our our goal so So, yeah, whether we're doing a little podcast or, you know, whether we're uh, broadcast all over the world, I guess we do our part and and be as faithful as we can in whatever way we can and allow God to bless it and do the work. So any further comments, Uh, because I do want to take one more chance for you to plug your podcast and and uh, but I want to make sure your heart's clear, too, as we are finishing tonight.
1: Uh, No, I mean, I really don't have anything more to say except, you know, look up. Look up the word reward and uh, read many of the passages that, that you find in, uh, in the New Testament and, and you'll really see about uh, really where the heart of Jesus is and and what what he wants to reward. Uh, so don't and, and never feel like what you're doing for God is too small, to be noticed, because God notices it, God sees it, and you may not get rewarded here in this life, but you will get a reward yeah. eventually. For sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, well, John, thank you so much for being on the show. Once again, tell them real quickly about your podcast, where they can find you, and any other, other information uh, that listeners, you, you think would, they would find pertinent.
1: Yeah, so if you go over to thewiredhomeschool.com, you will find the, at this date and time, uh, 141 episodes that I have recorded um, of that particular podcast, uh, and, and and they range from everything from uh, interviews with people in the homeschooling community to uh, technical advice on how to use uh, particular uh, forms of technology in homeschooling that, that, that's really the, the focus on it I, I like to say that it's uh, 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 tech tools and tips for homeschooling the internet generation and that's over at thewiredhomeschool.com
0: great well and you can also be uh, you want to give out your twitter handle to anybody out there yep. too? Uh,
1: twitter is uh, at jwilkers j-w-i-l-k-e-r-s
0: okay great And uh, my Twitter handle is just Rick Lee James, so if you're not following me on Twitter, then, well, good for you. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd love to have you and and interact that way. I love Twitter. It's a great way to keep in contact with a lot of people. Just to let everybody know, um, I believe the next couple podcasts are going to be coming to you live from Nashville, unless I can squeeze one in before I take this trip. Uh, but the plan is, right now, we're going to have a, a live show with Andrew Peterson, one of my very favorite singer, songwriters, and authors, even. He actually has uh, become a best-selling, award-winning author of the Wingfeather Saga. and um, and We're going to be doing a special episode in Nashville, Tennessee in just a couple weeks here. Um, Actually, I think it's in about a week and a half from the time of this recording, um, where we're going to be going over his album that came out um, a few years back called Resurrection Letters, Volume 2. And um, I asked him specifically if we could talk about that album and maybe I could have him play a couple songs live on the air from that album uh, because we are in the season of Lent heading towards Easter. And I wanted to have a way to resource the local church um, with some tools and, and I feel like the album has some great tools, some some great ways in song to bring the message of the reality of the resurrection through. So we're going to be talking about that and uh, whatever else uh, comes to mind in that time. And it also looks like, if, if everything goes according to plan, um, one of my very favorite, and I'm not exaggerating on this, one of my favorite guitarists, um, his name is Dave Cleveland, he has played... Um, for literally everybody in Nashville, um, I knew him first. Um, actually, you know what? I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't know who he was when I first was hearing him because he's always in the background playing on somebody's album. Um, I, I saw him for the first time uh, back at when Stephen Curtis Chapman did the the Great Adventure and did that Live Adventure concert tour. Um, he was one of the <laughs> elec- he was one of the electric guitarists in the background. Well, wow. I, yeah, I'm happy to say that Dave Cleveland played on. On my new album, which is coming out um, hopefully soon, where I'm hopefully in April going to be finishing that up. But it looks like I'm going to get a chance to sit down with Dave as well and maybe get him to play a little music live on the show while I'm in Nashville and just discuss uh, some of the different projects he's been a part of. He just played on Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir's new album. Um, He really is uh, such an amazing player, but he's also got such a big heart for God, and I'm really excited for him to be able to not just play music, but to actually get to hear his heart from his lips. So, uh, coming up. Uh, Andrew Peterson and Dave Cleveland on the Voices in My Head podcast. And uh, if we get another one in between now and then, we'll do that too. But don't count on it. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So, well, John, thanks for being one of the Voices in My Head this week. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So, let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.